I'm lucky. I do what I love and love what I do. I, I started a nonprofit along with some other close colleagues and friends. I believe it was 2014, 2015. And that nonprofit has grown and is almost completely run by volunteer help now. It's very low, low expense, low overhead. We've intentionally designed it that way. And it's completely it's completely virtual. We don't we don't use offices. And what we do is we have a site called GatewayGaston.com or .org, whichever you go to. And if somebody goes to our site and they need help connecting with the right resource <coughs> to meet some kind of human need, maybe they're behind on their rent, maybe they're needing help with a, a car repair, whatever. We call them back within ninety minutes and help them connect with the right resource, with dignity. People were given the same stories over and over and over. And we, we, wanted, to, we wanted to prevent some of that and add some dignity to the process. What's happened in, in turn is that we have gathered tons of data and built scores of relationships with our community of faith and with our service community, social services, nonprofits, and all that. And in the past couple of a year and a half, we've spent a lot of time emphasizing what's going well, working to remove duplication of services by getting people to collaborate, and by shining a light on where there are vacuums in the service. So I'll set it up this way. I have a piece coming out this weekend or maybe next, and it says the title of it is Catching Babies. What's up with catching all these babies? We, in my county, I'm from Gaston County, North Carolina, we catch a lot of babies. Now, we're talking metaphorically. But baby falls out a window, we catch it, and we'll talk about it. We'll take pictures and put it on social book, social media. <clears throat> we will um, we'll teach a class on it. We'll set up stations to catch babies. But few, if any, people are going upstairs to figure out why babies are falling out the window in the first place. So we're treating a lot of symptoms in our community, but not a lot of causes. So that's my, that's my nonprofit hat. My other hat I wear is I do education and consulting work all around education in, in the field of what we call cultural competency. That's the capacity mm -hmm. and willingness to interact with anybody, anywhere, anytime. Mm -hmm. And I do that for law enforcement, fire, private business, whatever leadership, education, all kinds of things. I love it. I love that's it. That's fantastic. So that's me. That's awesome. You know, from a professional standpoint. That's awesome. Well, um, as far as getting into that space, there's, I'm sure you've got some sort of uh, backstory on that. What, what sort of nudged you in that direction? Because if I'm not mistaken, originally when you started your professional career, you weren't in, in uh, this at all. When, right. Yeah. When I came out of school and while I was still in school, I had to get a real job. My yeah. mom got my mom had a surgery. It didn't go well. It, 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 she was a, <coughs> a widowed mom at under 40, maybe 40 at the time. And it, I, had, I, had to, I had to support myself so I could either flip burgers or I could build a career. So I built a career in in the corporate world, working in the banking, mortgage banking, lending and. And honestly, had a good career. And we'll talk about it when I talk about depression later, about how during the first 20 years of my career, I was driven. 
And then I became passionate. There's a big difference. We'll talk about that in another space and time. But right after 9-11, I get a call one day. I was working for Citigroup. I had come off the road from traveling, thought I would be there forever. That was where I was going to retire. That was my plan. And um, get a call that they're eliminating 1,800 jobs, and mine was one of them. So I had emailed a guy the day before because somebody told me he took short-term mission and philanthropic kinds of trips. He led them to the United Kingdom, and I'd always wanted to go to England. I remember that. So I emailed him back. I said, look, I met you Sunday briefly, um, and then you went back to Texas, but I've got some time on my hands. So ended up, he made some connections for me, and then I on my own went to England, met some people, and I went in this little church called Westview in Hartlepool, which is sort of a, it was a coal mining town and a shipbuilding town uh, in the past and um, a working town. And I go into this little church and just found acceptance and love and ended up going over there, not even as an ordained minister, getting commissioned over there to help them for six months. <coughs> Kind of restructure. They had um, they had been through a really, really tough, tough separation of a family that was leading the church, the pastor and his wife, mm-hmm. and it was tough. Uh, there were all kinds of backstories. Been there a lot of years. So basically, I just got to love people, and I got to teach, which I loved doing. And I came back and retooled my education. In the process of that, while I was getting ordained and all that. I worked in a middle school with communities and schools. Loved it. Worked in two middle schools primarily. I fell in love with human service. And that was where I migrated. And when I saw the vacuums and the duplication of services, I thought, we can address this. And literally, literally on a cocktail napkin with a guy named Jonathan Schnibben, we started scribbling. And the rest is history. We served about, well, this year we'll serve about 2,000 families. So... That's an awesome, I'll tell you, that's an awesome, I like what you said earlier, and now that you gave that whole story there about how you how you transitioned over, yep. it makes a lot of sense when you said yep. your drive turned into passion. Yep. And passion projects are always, almost always, in either a creative uh, groove or in a helpful groove, like that's a right. charitable sense. And no day seems like work. Yeah. The only day it seems like work is when I have to do budgets or spreadsheets and those kinds of things. Yeah. And because we are able to operate at a lean position, we, we, we used to need to raise $250,000 a year yeah. because we were part of the YMCA for a while. Great organization, but a very, very top-heavy overhead. Mm-hmm. So the Y and I made a decision, let's spin this thing off. Yeah. I now work for them on a volunteer basis as their chaplain. And I love that. Yeah. Um, but it, the overhead didn't match. And so now we can run this thing on fifteen, eighteen thousand $18,000 a year. And wow, that that's nothing. Efficiency. Yeah. And I bet a lot of that has to do with facilities and staff, right? The, we, the we, big overhead costs. We never need an office because it's yeah. all virtual. Um, my key person, the only employee we have, works by the call rather than by the hour. Gotcha. And she's on call eight to eight, Monday or seven days a week, but she can do other jobs. She delivers, uh, she's retired. She delivers for Walmart and DoorDash. Mm -hmm. 
In the meantime, I think Walmart only. Uh, during COVID, she was sitting in Florida at her daughter's kitchen, covering the gateway, and nobody ever knew. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, you can do it from anywhere. I've done it from my car. I take calls at breaks if I'm teaching. It just, it works. So, yeah. So, yeah, you don't have... You don't have the, the expense of rent. Uh, I don't take a salary. I take a small monthly stipend. It's small. Um, we don't have any other employees. We've yeah. got some technology expense. Yeah. And that's an exciting point. We are upgrading as I speak our technology so that instead of awaiting a callback when you text us or go to our website, waiting 90 minutes for a callback or yeah. a text, You'll be able to go to our site if your if your locator is on. It you won't really need to put anything in except what you're looking for. But most people will put their zip code and what they need. Mm-hmm. And they may say, "I need um, an afford. I, I need a doctor, um, and I don't have health insurance." Boom! All the places in their vicinity will pop up with what they need, hours, website, all that. That's awesome. And there'll always be a button there that's a big button that says, "If you need a live person, click here, and you'll hear back within ninety minutes." And we're we will test that. Knock on wood, we'll test it mid November through the end of the year, yeah. And then pilot it first quarter and then roll it out. My grandson Landon, he's with me. Uh, yes. He's he's yes. Uh, he's he's seen some of this firsthand from his background. He he was in the foster care system for a long time just adopted into our family so we're thrilled about that but he's Absolutely. lived some of this stuff oh yeah which it kind happens. of <laughs> that kind of brings us full circle yeah not everybody we deal with at the gateway is homeless or mm-hmm. unhoused but they're spiraling toward that often well it happens fast oh yeah, yeah. Especially it can happen happens. within a month yeah it'd be they, fine and 30 days later you know four in four unfortunate accidents a car a sickness right. and a job injury all in one 30- or 90-day period, and you're homeless. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and the, the reality is most – several years ago, there was a guy going – I can't remember his name. I have it. We could link it if we need to. Yeah, we can add but it later. He wrote a book about this, and the average middle-class family <coughs> – average middle-class family could not come up with 400 bucks if they had an immediate emerg- emergency. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are living closer to the line than we want to admit. And – um. Again, our work has put us in our community kind of, I think we would be considered, the gateway would be considered experts in some in some respects. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit of, we're heavy advocates and we're just a little bit activist. We, mm-hmm. We're pushing to build collaboration but people don't like to collaborate in communities like ours because we have a mill mentality Mm -hmm. people didn't want if you worked in the abc mill you didn't want the people in the xyz mill talking Mm -hmm. back in the day before uh uh, was it nafta that took Mm -hmm. all the jobs away before that happened and we started losing all these jobs they were very isolated, segregated, not just by race, but by demographic of income, things like that. And um, it's created a very siloed system of care. Oh, it has. And, and it's tough. And it's I know tough. from somebody, and look, I make what they consider decent money. Right. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what they say decent money is, but I would love to see anybody that we vote for 
left, right, center, or otherwise live off of my salary. Absolutely. Just and live. your benefits. They got different benefits right. in D.C. than we got. Oh, I know. You know. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's a just, – just hang on one second. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I don't think – when you say it's siloed, I think it's more of like um, it's at levels. The air yep. is different at every level. Uh, say that right? again. The air is different. The air is different at every level. That's a good the way to describe it. The higher you go, it. the less air there is, so yep. the less down to earth you are. <laughs> I don't That's know if right. it's sort of silly, but it sort of gets the point across. It's like you and don't then, understand what it's like to try to decide between uh, getting frozen versus fresh vegetables. That's right. Because there's a $4 price difference and it's the same vegetable. You buy a lot of yeah. little Debbies for that price Yes. Versus one one or two. There are ways to do that and to learn that, but they require education. They require mentoring. And what you said about the thinner air at the top, I get to spend time with those people at the top, so to speak. Our health department, our DSS, those people who run that, they are, they are unbelievable people, but they can't. They're just too much work and too many people to keep that imprint going all the way down. And somewhere many times it breaks down. Mm-hmm. It's better than it used to be in our community. And I, I don't work a lot outside our community in this philanthropic and humanitarian world just because that's where I, I live. Well, the problem is so dense, too. Yeah. You're not going to run out of work within a five no. square mile radius. That's exactly right. You're not. I drove a truck down in Charlotte, Gaston County, all around that area. Yep. Starts getting a little greener up towards Davison County. Right. Right. SUVs and artisan shops and polos. You know what I mean? But like, you go down towards Gaston, you you better be careful which gas station you pull in. When you hit New Hope and 321, New Hope's more retail. But when you hit 321 in our community, which is a, a major thoroughfare, if you're driving the other way of 85 north and south, west of 321 has just been neglected. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, for instance, the school southwest, been there probably since 78, mm-hmm. 76, something like that. A very quality building. It has never, the school board has never seen fit to equip it with a full set of new furnishings. They, they've always put seconds tier, hand-me-downs, throwaways, mm. unless it's happened in the last year or so, and I didn't yeah. know about it. Um, and if they did, that means it took 40 years to make it happen. It's still a problem, yeah. And that those are some of the things. I don't get in too much to the, lo- the local political thing because I don't want to endorse candidates and all that. It just gets but sticky, and our, it smells bad. Well, <laughs> our, our mayor yeah. was told how many people in our community current mayor uh, one of our agencies told him how many people they had to help with just their utility bills Mm -hmm. for the city of gastonia and the mayoral response was you mean we got people in our community who can't pay their power bill well if we're that out of touch Mm -hmm. think about going up the line like you talked about Mm -hmm. so um yeah, that that's that's the challenge. But um, and you know, Landon mentioned earlier talking about the 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 unhoused people hanging around the the Seven Eleven. That is true. Yeah. Like I don't know. I, I kind of watch when I travel. Most of the cities I travel 
in North Carolina, if there's a QT, there are some table, picnic-like tables mm-hmm. out. So like sheet stations down right. there? Right. Yeah. Well, at our QT, but next door to the police department, interestingly, they had to remove the tables because people were congregating there and panhandling so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a challenge. And, and we have... we. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but one of the challenges with homelessness in a community is determining how many homeless you have. Yes. So that you can figure out a strategic plan for helping them. Well, funding. Just the basic thing. That's funding. right. Because each head has a dollar yeah. sign above it. When That's you're right. At, I mean, it sounds cold, but, but at does. the end of the day, you have spreadsheets for everything. And each unaccounted yeah. for head means negative dollars because you don't yeah. get them. Yeah. And they come down from the feds. We get a fair amount of money in our community, but the the continuum of care is a federally funded entity that has been like a hot potato in our our county. Mm-hmm. And I, I suspect in other counties that I've studied, I've seen this. It's multi-county, which is a challenge. We, it, three counties is a lot to say grace over. But in eight, nine years, it's had like four different leadership mm-hmm. sets. Our United Way has had probably seven or eight key from the top and second line leaders leave in a 10-year period. So the work, the continuity of that work has suffered. Then you do an annual point-in-time count mm-hmm. that is sometimes led by United Way, sometimes led by a continuum. I think currently ours is led or organized by the continuum of care is what it's called. That, that count is made in January. Yeah. We didn't get final numbers this year until late May. Why, last year it was September when we got them. They have one number. The website has another number because it's supposedly real time. Mm-hmm. The school system has another number because they calculate homelessness differently. Yeah. But the best we can tell in our community, unhoused on the street, there are between three and 400 people. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't count people who are couch surfing or staying with yeah. relatives. Uh, it doesn't count people who are in the eviction process, nor does it count people who are just a month or two away from mm-hmm. losing everything. Yeah. And so that's a lot of people to say grace over. Here's the interesting part. Since the day we've in get we started the gateway, we've tracked. Who would engage for a hand up? Who would take that nibble and do more than just say, I need my light bill paid. I need help with my rent. But would do something towards solving their own problem rather Mm -hmm. than us just fixing it temporarily. Contributors. That's right. And we call it engagement. You know, the number has never been anywhere except between 17 and 20%. Mm -hmm. So that means if we have... 400 homeless people, 18, 19 maybe, percent of those are ready to really step forward. Yeah. And we can help them because if the caseworkers, the volunteers, the church work, volunteers, whatever, are working harder than the client, it's a no-win situation. Yeah. yeah. And then you got you got the situation with, with substance use disorder the system is so broken. And mm-hmm. There's such stigma around it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, they have substance use disorder. Let's help them get some help. Let me ask you about that, especially when it comes to the unhoused. Um, in that that sense, you said it was a stigma. Now I know you know. So I guess psychology plays into it a lot. Do you think that some of that is more of a trust issue that people have with the people that that suffer with with substance abuse? Because I mean, I've had in my own life friends and family you know that's dealt with substance abuse and the biggest thing is that i've come across when it comes to um they're integrating into the family or into a friend group is a trust issue because so many times that trust has been broken you know they're good people yep you know they mean well and you know that they're clean yep. right but you have that fear of are they going to you know clean me out one day or whatever right do you think that that nagging feeling that creeps in, you think that plays a, a part in the way we approach trying to solve the unhoused situation and trying to solve the drug, um, you know, the sickness of addiction? Like, do you think that plays more than we think? I think you've hit on an absolute core issue. In our community and in others, uh, Beth Macy writes about this a lot in her book. Um, she's done two books. Um, one of them, she talks about Gastonia. Um, I'll, I'll think of the names of them in a minute. Yeah. She was in our community recently, did a great job speaking. There's a ministry in our community called Olive Branch Ministry. They are a no-harm model of, of substance use support. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means if you need a clean needle, they'll get you a clean needle. Yeah. Well, that is just anathema in our deeply, deeply evangelical Republican community. A relative of mine worked in the same building with Olive Grant, branch rep for a while, and she said, well, we work in another same umbrella, but I do not approve of what she does. Yeah. And my relative was a nurse. The other person was a peer-to-peer specialist. Mm-hmm. But you hit on it. I, 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 there's that, and it's driven often. And I'm a I'm a person of faith, but it's driven by our desire in the faith community to fix people mm-hmm. first to fix their soul, which I'll give you an example of that in a minute, and then to fix their problem. What if we just love them yeah. and let them and God fix their problems? And when they need rehab or detox, let's help them get it. Um, this week, I talked to a local church. They reached out wanting help. They're going to have, it's it's an outreach event. It's what it is, trying to fill pews because mm-hmm. pews are empty in a lot of churches. It's in a part of town where a lot of unhoused people congregate in the street. So their big thing they were working on, we got them some coats and things to give away, which is great. Yeah. But the big thing they were working on, have you seen these in North Carolina, especially I've seen them, these signs that say Jesus saves. And they're like, they look like a, a political sign. They're that size. They're, yeah. And they're everywhere. Yeah. Well, this church said, we want to help the homelessness. And I said, the homeless. I said, what are you going to do? She said, we're going to, we're going to just wallpaper the, the, the front of our building and property that day with Jesus saves signs. We have 700 churches and a quarter of a million people in our community. 
if they don't know who Jesus is, it's not their fault. It's you're, ours. If you're in the South and you ain't had an opportunity to go to a church, I don't know yeah. what's wrong with you. But there's no <laughs> trust. On every corner. There's such <laughs> low trust there yeah. because of that. That and, and because of that, I, I, again, I'm on the inside of the church. I honestly believe this, and I think I could prove it if we, if I could share things that aren't that aren't shareable. They're confidential. Yeah. A lot of people seem afraid to get too close to the substance use concern because it hits too close to home. They've got a child that they don't want anybody to know about, mm-hmm. or they've got themselves, or they've got a spouse, and they'd rather just not get into that arena because somebody will find out. Yeah. You know? So, what you said about the trust, you would think that the most trusted entity in a community would be its its faith portion you want but it's that, not yeah. it's just not anymore at one mm. time it seemed to be but even then um you know churches churches are strange places they're just strange places uh in our community it, it, we had people who were told when to get up when to go to work a whistle blew when to take a break a whistle blew mm-hmm. when to go home a whistle blew work overtime you didn't have any choice you did it our mill owners built and funded churches around their mills to keep people contained, to communicate. Mm-hmm. And when you made Johnny Smith, who worked a job where he was told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, he paid his he got his paid his rent out of his paycheck because the mill on the house. He got his food at the company store. He grew a little bit. Everything was every decision was made for him. You make him a deacon or a Sunday school um, superintendent in a, in a church, he doesn't know how to handle that that authority. And it yeah. created mayhem in churches yeah. historically. So, Well, I will tell you, I, as you well know, I grew up in church. Yep. Um, now, you grew up in real I, uh, church. <laughs> I grew up in a cult. <laughs> but as far as, as far as like seeing that side of things and then going over to the military and then when i got out of the military i was in the motorcycle club world for a while yep the same issues you have in deacon meetings are the same issues you have in motorcycle club meetings well we've seen it in volunteer fire departments yeah it's got to be the same all the way across the board because people are people Yeah. Yeah. yeah but the church claims to have a solution to all that and they say they do but I don't see yeah. it fleshed out in many. Um, that was, again, we'll talk about that in the depression piece, but yeah. I, that was the turning point in my life when I feel I realized it wasn't my job to fix anybody. Mm-hmm. That, that's between that person and God, yeah. not me. Uh, that, that takes a lot of pressure off. Well, it's like trying to take the responsibility of, uh, you know, oh, my wife smokes. Yeah. She can't smoke anymore, lung cancer. And right. then you take that stress on you every day. You're not going to make day. her stop. She's going right. to stop when she wants to. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly Same concept. right. Well, let me ask you one more question um, on my end, if you don't mind, on the, the, the homelessness thing. It's something that, that's really dominated my thought process about this because, you know, I sit and think about things from time to time. And how would you fix a unhoused situation, especially on a large scale? Like, yeah. for instance, in um, California. Yeah, it's it's out of control. Like it is insane. You talk about yep. four hundred in in Gastonia, 
I mean, it's like 400,000 yep. over a city. Portland, out there. Seattle, they're all seeing it. Yeah. And I've listened to some podcasts on this. Of course, you know, every podcast has its own lean, depending on where it falls in the political spectrum. So you get multiple points of view. But right. everybody that has honest conversations about fixing the unhoused and the open, like, drug abuse scene. Right. That's getting so bad everywhere. Yep. Is that the bureaucracy around it is choking out the actual flow of help. So when right. it starts up here, it's a waterfall right. of funding and planning. Yep. And then by the time it gets down to me, the unhoused, yep. right, I get a bag. That's and right. that bag, if I put a cost on it, is as much as a month's pay. Right. Right. There was a there was an article I read and I listened to a couple of podcasts that discussed this article and it was talking about the cost of housing, temporary housing that they were budgeting for in California in a specific city. I can't remember the name of the, which city it was. Right. Um, but basically the tiny home program yep. ended up costing each tiny home was almost a quarter of a million dollars. Yep. So that brings the square footage price you know, so on and so forth. Right. I could talk about it for days, but the problem that I'm trying to figure out is, and I'd like to get your your view on this: how going forward on in your organization with the people you're working with, and just in the Gaston County area, how are you guys like planning for that, yep. and how to avoid that because that's going to choke out inevitably any good that you want to do. In the end, I guess. Absolutely. How, how are you guys approaching that? You know, I know you probably are talking about it, but yeah. what, what's your... There's There's been a lot of talk, yeah. a lot of meetings. I have written about this, and it's being published with our newspaper partnership in the written paper, which many people don't read anymore. I don't, but I do read online, and it's on my, my Facebook postings and our websites. Um, and we're outlining eight different issues that are that are problematic mm -hmm. good and bad there's some good things there's some bad things the one i haven't written is the final one where do we go from here mm -hmm. and i'm trying to get some input i have a person who's promised to give me some input based on some things i've heard her say recently but we know this we know what we're doing is not working we mm -hmm. know that so far we haven't <laughs> yeah we know there's a flood coming if this mm -hmm. economy shakes just a little bit. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we know that. <clears throat> the other thing that is problematic is getting into the system. Yeah. It is tedious. There's a thing called a V-dispat that we have to, has, apparently has to be done. So... What we've perfected, and I, I'm, I can say that with some confidence, what we've perfected at the Gateway is the capacity to sift and sort, sort and sift. Mm -hmm. Who is at that point that they're ready to engage? That's 17, 18, 19%. If collaboratively, we as a community and other communities will sort and sift, and our model works, it's worked for since day one, I could go into that if you want to hear it. It's very brief, but I could tell you how we do it. Yeah. But we sort and sift. We serve those that are kind of low-hanging fruit, 
that sift down and want, mm-hmm. want to engage. But there has to be other things going on. For instance, our county is one of the only in the top 10 sized counties in our community that doesn't have a, an affordable housing trust. So our community's okay. gentrifying at a breakneck pace. 78-year-old woman we're dealing with recently, her rent had been 500 bucks a month. She make for years, she makes right at 800 on SSI, uh, Social Security Retirement. Yeah. She survived on that extra $300 by going to food banks, getting her clothes at thrift stores and donations. She survived. Well, landlord sold the house. Now the rent's going to twelve, thirteen hundred. Yep. She's homeless. There's nothing she can do. Yep. She has no resources. Their social capital is usually spent. So that's what we're seeing. So it's going to require, no doubt, a sorting and sifting with intentionality, mm-hmm. laser focused services on those that sift. Yeah. Collaboration. And a willingness to not just treat symptoms. Yeah. That in mind, median rent for a one-bedroom apartment is up to $1,250 in our community. If you have two or three Mm -hmm. kids, I can't remember, um, in our community, the United Way cost estimator predicts you need about $56,000 to live comfortably. Well, the median household income is $54,000. So that well, means you got a lot of people yeah. living below that. Single mothers, single parents, single fathers. That's household income. So usually that means two incomes. And I laugh on the inside when you said that just right. now. $56,000 to live comfortably in Gaston County? That's right. Or to live comfortably might not be the right word. To live like without without falling through the cracks. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. That's barely, that's barely survived. That's barely enough skin to cover the bone. Right. I mean, just for instance, on your way out today, if you go down, you take a left instead of going down. There's a trailer right here on this corner. How much it's got some kids, kids toys in the front. You know, that thing was on the market for five years, right? And they finally did one of those predatory, uh, no credit check rent to owns. Yep. So basically, they have all responsibility of keeping up with that property. Yep. I called up there because I was like, her son needs a place at the time. They were selling that place for a hundred and five thousand dollars, and it's it's a rat trap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Three months later, they raised it to one thirty, right? And then about six months after that, I didn't call again, but that family moved in. Wow. So I'm assuming that if they didn't change it, they paid probably at least paying fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks a month right. to stay in a really shitty single wide trailer. That's and just they've done the best in. they can with it. Looks That's good. Right. But it's not worth sixteen hundred, fifteen hundred, thirteen hundred a month. That's right. That's right. It's crazy. So, anyway, I went off on so, the diatribe yeah, there. But <laughs> you're absolutely right. But, yeah, and, like it's yeah, and we're seeing it over and over. So you got to sort and sift. You, you have to. Yeah. You got to collaborate, and you got to be willing to to create some better systems that don't ex- that don't exploit the system yeah. but that work better than the bureaucratic ones we have in place that means people are going to have to make some changes and people hate change um, I know that but change is constant and it, it, it's always going to be there but we're not adapting to it quickly enough yeah. as communities um, our system is very simple if a person hits the gateway 
and they're not working, we offer them a, a simple, written on a third grade level survey with eight or 10 questions that will help us help them yeah. and get them connected better. If they're struggling financially and working, we have the same kind of thing financially. We just can't get people to take the step and do it. Hmm. And almost everyone has access to internet and cell phone. Mm-hmm. It's less than 1% of our population. We anecdotally and uh, actuarially, we've been able to prove that. Oh, yeah. It, 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 our, our library is wonderful to let people utilize the, the systems there. The library is the last truly free space in, in America. Anybody can go in there. Yep. And thank God our library is, is, is helpful. Um, and our library patrons are pretty pretty patient because the guy sitting next to you at the, the kiosk may not smell as good as you. Yeah. Um, so those are things. But sort and sift, collaborate, and be willing to change some things that, that must change. The, the housing first model is the best I've seen. Mm-hmm. You get the person housed so they at least have a place to the dry and to keep their things safe. Yeah. Because we know theft and loss are problems in the oh, yeah. in the un, unwalled communities. Uh, it's just a reality. Everybody's well, the, at survival. The first 48 makes mm. its nut off of uh, homeless murders. Right. That's right. And, and that's one of the things we hear about shelters. Like, I don't want to go to a shelter. There's so much drama there. Well, I understand that. But at the same time, it's all we got. But out yeah. with 300 and some, 400 roughly homeless people, we have one shelter with 64 beds. Mm-hmm. It's full every night. Yeah. Um, and it's a higher barrier shelter. You have to clear a drug tox screen and a, a background check to yeah. get in. Four of those rooms, of those 64 beds, are family rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, And it is run by the Salvation Army, so... Technically, you have to be married to stay in a family room. They don't always check that. They take people at their word. I'm sure it's pretty impossible in some situations. Right. That's right. Most probably. And they they have they I've I've seen some some movement toward more realistic way of handling that yeah. recently. But nonetheless, that those are the things. And but our sorting and sifting system works. Yeah. And we know that. If, if people that are listening are like to read, there's a guy named Desmond, Matthew Desmond, who wrote a book called Evicted. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best books at understanding homelessness from the organic viewpoint that I've seen. And it really is a, I forgot the city it's set in, but he, he looks at people who are homeless or almost homeless. And some have chosen to live homeless. Because all they got to do is find a place to sleep and eat. And they, they're like, I'll make it there. They yeah. didn't go out and say, I'm going to be homeless. But they found a comfortable numb. Yeah. And we're like, well, you can do better. Well, yeah, but... It, Sometimes people it, just don't have it, it inside of them. And and then you got people yeah. who aren't cognitive re- re- cognitively ready. They're not emotionally ready. We got we get the mental health piece. We've talked a little bit about that. Um Law, I spend a lot of time with law enforcement. Over and over, they are telling me, and we can't quantify it, but they estimate, I'll say with no indication of what I think the answer is, 
I say, what percentage of your calls on a daily basis have a significant mental health co- uh, component? 85% is usually the first number that comes up. Yep. So we got people out there that are carrying stress loads and mental health challenges that we've never fathomed before. And when Reagan closed the mental institutions and mm-hmm. said, we'll treat them in the communities, that sounds like a great model. But the funding never followed. It still mm-hmm. hasn't followed. It wasn't and a it's plan. a total cluster now. Yeah. yeah, there was no plan. It was something to, it was something to get votes. And he created the, the welfare queen image, which is not true. It's mm-hmm. just not true. But people still are, well, we're not going to give anything to the homeless. We're not going to feed them. Or we're not going to give them this because we know they'll abuse it. Well, maybe so. Um, Abuse is, in a lot of situations, a large contributor to how the unhoused got where they're at. That's right. So if you're surprised that it happens once they're in that situation, I don't know what to tell you. You know, as as a government employee that's that's talking to me, I would be like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, they're going to abuse the system. Some of them. But, we like, have a, but then there's others that's going to help. So what do right. you want? And like, what do you want to get two on the road or, you know, what are we doing one? about these moguls at the yeah. top that are taking tax credits ir- ir- irresponsibly that uh, they're abusing the system? Yeah. Oh, they're creating jobs. Sure they are. But at what expense? Yeah. You know, um, we have a colleague who interned with us. His story is unbelievable. In that he struggles struggles with a form of schizophrenia and some other mental health challenges, and he's very vocal and open and transparent about it. And he told a group of officers a few months ago we were talking and doing an activity with him. He said, "Look, I can fix a lot of my problems short term with a tall boy." Mm-hmm. He said, "But that's not the way to do it." Mm-mm. But when my insurance won't get me what I need, or my copay is a thousand dollars on this drug, or it's experimental, I, I got to do what I got to do. Mm-hmm. Well, that can lead to substance use disorder, what we used to call addiction, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one of the things that helped me get a better perspective on this, and again, it ties back to my old way of thinking as a strict, strict religionist that. People were poor because they were lazy. People were poor because they were abused their their resources and all that. I, what helped me was learning from actually Dr. Ruby Payne and Dr. Um, Frank Comer, and even some of Maslow's work. What the core values of the classes are: mm-hmm. rich people, truly rich people, if they have money, they want to preserve it. That's a natural human thing. Uh, yeah, and. Yeah. Middle-class people, they have money. We want to invest it. Mm-hmm. If poor people have money, they want to spend it because yep. they don't get it often. Mm-hmm. That's why you see so many things that middle-class people see at tax season. They take they take food and, and holiday gifts to a family in December. And then in February, they've gotten their taxes back. They see them with wheels on their cars fancy haircuts, ch- uh, Jordans for their kids. Well, there's a reason for that. The number one, the number one, two, and three priorities and values for people in poverty are survival, mm-hmm. 
entertainment and relationships. Yeah. That's it. You say, well, that's wrong. It is. It's a scientific reality. It's mm-hmm. so- social science. Middle-class people want work, achievement, material security. Yeah, they care about their social standing. That's they right. care about their kids' education. And achieve, they care about achieve. the future for when they're gone. That's right. But people that are struggling on hand-to-mouth they're type surviving. thing, they're not sure where Wednesday's meal is going to come from because they had a surprise tire leak today That's and right. had to change it. That's exactly yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and that's it's a what, whole different survival. You know. But the the system of care, mm. by and large, is mil- built on middle class values. Mm-hmm. We're entering the holiday season. We're going to see it this season. Happens every season. I get a call from a church. We want to help people at the holidays, at Christmas. Okay. So they go out and they find all these people who are impoverished and they get them lavish amounts of gifts. When I used to do this for communities and schools, um, they would bring the gifts to me. I would take one family's gifts, split them up, and serve six families sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's another issue for another day about us imposing American consumerism on people. That's another issue. But the, the reality is this Christmas, it will happen. I'll get a call about the 20th of December. And they'll go, Dwayne, how do you help us? I said, what do you mean? They said, we had 80 families set up at a certain time to come get. They had an appointment to come to the church and get their toys. Mm-hmm. And 10 of them didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? And they're, they're mad. They're angry. They're like, why? We're giving them. Well, they might have, their car might have broken down. Mm-hmm. They were already on one, needing two. Um, they, they, could have had, they could have had to work. They didn't have a choice in it. Mm-hmm. They might not have had enough minutes on their phone to call and figure out who to call. Mm-hmm. Church office might not have been open when they could call. There's all kinds of things. But that is what I call a handout instead of a hand up. And charity is hard for people to take in some situations. Other people have no, right. no thought, second about thought about it. But That's then there's right. other people that, you know. That's right. It's like... Uh, they call it, uh, I don't know if, it, if it's called this officially, but it's like poor dining. That's right. Like where people won't go out to eat because right. they're like, I'm not going to go in there and buy a salad and soup. Right. That's and right. And then not leave a tip because I can't right. afford it, so I'm just not going to go. Yep. And if you're not going to tip, don't yeah. go, you know, yeah. but we yeah. know that. But you're right. It's, it's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, the, and, and in the Bible, we read it's more blessed to give than receive. Mm-hmm. And that's true. It feels great. To give people something, but six months ago, eight months ago, I got a call from the from the police department. They said, "Dwayne, can you help us?" I'm like, "What?" They said, "Who's giving away all these clothes on the weekend downtown?" Well, there's this just rush of church people who want to do something on the weekend when they're free, so they go to our downtown and they give away meals, sometimes duplicating each other. Well, always, because there's always a place down there that serves every night. Yeah. Uh, there are two, actually. But they give away clothes. They give away food. They load these homeless people up with clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what happens? They don't have anywhere to discard them if they can't wear them. Mm-hmm. So they end up littering the entire downtown. Mm-hmm. City has to send people down there to clean them up on Monday if we just collaborate and say, all right, you do clothes, you do food, and you do interviews, mm-hmm. talk to people, relationship building, and we'll make this work. 
instead of everybody coming up with a truck full of clothes, a truck full of food, and a truck full of yeah gospel tracks or whatever. Yeah, you know. So it, it needs it, it needs a, a reorganization and a refocusing, basically. Yep. Um, so that you get good That's results. That's right. And you you ask what communities <clears throat> need to do. I don't want to leave that hanging. Yeah. We talked about the sift and sort. We talked about the collaboration. We talked about an intentional reduction of duplication of services. Mm-hmm. The thing that we've found in our community that gets the most traction is when we get a group of interested, concerned people together, either in a single company or a single church or a single house of worship, or preferably a group of different people from different backgrounds uh, from a faith perspective, community perspective, and all that business perspective. Get them together, and we conduct what's called why people do what they do. And that's those core values we just talked about. Those open eyes and people go, now the lights are on. Then they start planning yeah. instead of just ready, fire, aim. Yeah. We've, we've got that. And I don't think it's just us, but for me, it's very acute in our community because I've lived there for 30 some years. So that's that, awesome. So yeah, um, that's kind of the the silhouette view of framework of, of, of unhoused and homeless. People equate, equate wealth and poverty with having or not having money. But there's so many other things. You need a, a social support. You need role models. We need social capital. We need a spiritual hope. Mm-hmm. And I say this every time I teach it. I'm not telling you your spiritual spirituality is up to you, but a person who doesn't have hope is the most dangerous person in the world to themselves and to others. Mm -hmm. And that's scary to think how many people are losing hope. And I think about, I think about people who didn't have good role models and even didn't have that good command of middle-class hidden rules like, the young, the, the the poor person, the impoverished person, not making an appointment. Well, that's a not making it to it. That's a middle class value. Appointments. We live by appointments. It's not so much in poverty. Uh, so, not knowing those things. Mm-hmm. And I think about Mike Tyson. Tyson had more money than he could spend. We thought he didn't have a great command of the language. He struggled. Mm-hmm. We don't know about his mental health, but emotionally, a guy that'll bite somebody's ear off is not emotionally sound, mm-hmm. and he bit Evander Holyfield's ear off, and Don King and others just came in and sucked him dry. His yep. poverty wasn't financial before that. His poverty was in, in role models and all that. Yep. Then you got a guy like Christopher Reeve, the late Christopher Reeve, who was Superman. He had great command of the language. He was mm-hmm. a, a, maybe an Oscar winner. I don't remember. Um, uh, he had social support, he had a home, he had money, but he didn't have physical capacity mm-hmm. that he used to be on land. So that made him poor in a sense, impoverished. Yeah. So it's so much more than just not having enough money. Well, there's poor people that drive Escalades yeah. and live in quarter million dollar houses. Yeah, because they're living on credit. They have, if one day they don't go to work. That's right. They're screwed. That's right. And they do that, and they do that until they die. <laughs> we have a, 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 a yeah. company in our community that pays really well. 
But I'm going to tell you, based on the people I know who live there who drive pickups with $1,700, a month payments, if they miss a couple paychecks, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. They're oh, in yeah. trouble, you know. Um, and in today's economy, that's very likely to happen because the economy is pretty good now, but it's not always going to be good. And yeah. some of it, I'm not an economist, but some of it seems propped up and yeah. just ready to slip. You just never know. The veneer of a well-organized and happy society is so thin yep. that you can't see it. Yeah. So you don't know when it's gone and until don't you it's think gone. That people are people are saying to me <laughs> yeah. all the time, "Why is everybody so angry? Why do we see people in road rage? Why do we see people beating up uh, at least verbally and orally on waiters and servers and people like that?" We're living with this thin line of sanity almost mm-hmm. and stress that people are just ready to pop. Well, let's use that as a segue uh, yep. over to the depression. Yeah. Um, topic if you would like let's do it what is what is your thoughts on like fixing this mental health crisis because then we have this homelessness and unhoused crisis right it's paired with um substance use and abuse it's almost like a triangle of evil yep. right and, yep. and the other the one would trick. be depression or mental health yep right and a depression is a specific mental health but yep. It plays into, I know from my own struggles with depression, it plays into every facet of your life. From your your personal relationships with your friends, your work. Your um, intimacy. Your, your intimacy. Everything. Yeah, sexual function. Everything. everything. And I know just from my own struggles with it that it can be almost impossible to hold a job, yep. much less take a bath. That's right. Some days. That's right. right. And if you're in a chronic state of that, it has to feed the the drug addiction issues and the homelessness right. issues. So, I mean, you could if you can get up and take a couple shots of Jim Beam and function. People would rather do that than lie in the bed, yeah, and lose their job, and then the addic- the the dependency mm-hmm. can can sometimes follow. Um, you're those days where you didn't want to die. But you did not want to keep living the way you were, and, and it. And I wonder how many people. I was thinking about this um, yesterday. Ozzy's song "Mama, I'm Coming Home." Uh-huh. That was the song that I intended to have playing when when I pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. I had a plan. Uh, I knew where I was going to go. I knew who I was going to ask to be with me because I wanted that person to hurt. Because mm-hmm. that person had hurt me, um, I, I had it. I had it all. I had it, the note, everything. Matter of fact, I just deleted the note from my computer files about a year ago because I thought I'm through this. I think I, now I may I may struggle again, but I didn't want my family to someday find that and yeah. and see such raw raw pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but Turns out yesterday, I was scrolling, just kind of killing time, and uh, saw Carrie Underwood cover that song on a clip of Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And it moves me with emotions every time I hear it because of the role it was going to play in my life. Yeah, I wonder how many people are walking around 
in their briefcase on their computer in their back pocket with a written suicide note and a plan, I just wonder if it's far more than we realize. I really honestly, sadly, but I tend to agree with you. Yep. I, and, I mean, we don't know, but... And I think that just that one thing, and there's a million of them, but yep. just that one thing, I think that actually plays a huge role in the day-to-day interactions that people have with each other, whether it be at the grocery store, on Facebook, on Twitter. Yep. Um, I think it plays into just well, the way we think about other people because that, that how pressure. You, how do you think the pressure has multiplied with the with the the explosion of of social media outlets and the images we try to try to build on there and now artificial outlets through the metaverse you know you might have six different social media pages each with a different little bit different image mm-hmm. and now you go in and instead of being dean you can be joe smith mm-hmm. the the gladiator mm-hmm. or what and now you've got multiple virtual images what do you think that's doing to our mental health and i'm not saying it's bad but what do you think it's doing and so we're just ripping people to shreds all the time yeah Uh, authenticity is a commodity that's not actually authenticity that's right (laughs) is what it is i think it has to play into it when you get a guy like like who gets on tv and has 20 some thousand people there if you just look at him or listen to him casually. Yeah. You think, man, he's he's authentic. Yeah. But then, as you listen with with some discernment, you think this is a this is an act. Mm-hmm. It's all an act. I wonder, and I don't know. I'm not a clinician. I couldn't couldn't do it. I don't know. But I wonder what's really in that guy's mind when he lays down at night to go to sleep. Is he really as cheery and bright? I I got my doubts. I mean, I really well, do. Even, even if it's not him specifically, I'm sure there's people that are in the same type of situation that when they go oh, to bed yeah. at night, the pressure. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever watched it. It's a, sort of raunchy, but it's a show on um, HBO called The the Gemstones. The Righteous Gemstones. The Righteous Gemstones. I've watched a few clips from it. There's and, a little bit too much frontal nudity from the men for me. Okay. That, I couldn't remember <laughs> if that was <laughs> what I was in there. I knew it was a little raunchy, but I think the, the, the idea... Um, the, the message that they're trying to get yeah. behind it, it had a lot of interesting things you could take away yep. because it, it even touches, I know it's a highly comedic right. you know, project, but as far as the stuff that they do touch on, they touch on stuff like that where, you know, we have an image to uphold and if we don't do it, then you know, right. the whole the organization will it come down. It just dominoes sort of like, down. Sort of like that documentary, real life documentary they came out with uh, on, uh, I can't remember the the name of the people, but it's, it was a husband and his wife, and they got caught in a some type of three way affair with yep. their pool boy. Oh yeah, and he his dad was a super conservative. Jerry college. Falwell Jr. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The Falwells. Yeah, yeah. So and like even people like that, they get judged immediately, right? That's right. But there has to be an aspect of mental health negativity. Absolutely. That goes into that in order for them to get to that point. Because Absolutely. I know. Just from being with church people, yep. that they do actually, at least at one point in their life, believe it and actually want to help people. That's right. And they're in it for the right reasons. And then 20 years later, you're watching your wife 
We did pool boy. Yeah, and <laughs> and drinking and having an alcohol problem and everything else. And when you're trying yeah. to live perfectly with no margin for error, as it is in a lot of church settings that I was in, that is exhausting mentally, emotionally, physically, every way. Um, it, 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 you know, I turns the the church into a greenhouse that grows depression and and regret. Say and that again. Bitterness. Say that again. Depression, regret, and bitterness. I'm gonna write that down. A greenhouse, man, man. I, turns I, the church into a greenhouse. That's yeah. a really good analogy. I wouldn't have thought of that. I'm very visual. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never would have thought about that. I mean, that's a great way to put it. I'm very visual. If you can show me, <laughs> I can usually get it. But the, I, me too. I yeah. got to see it. I got to see it work first. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. But the church, I'm not, people think when I talk about this that I'm just shutting down the church in my mind. Man, I love the church. Oh, you're very Augusta, active. You were a minister. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Augustine said, uh, she's, Augustine said, I, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've never been able to find where that was said, but I trust the person who told me that. It's legit, though. Yeah. I mean, how many versions of church do you have? Oh, millions. And I'm not trying to be mean. Right. But, I mean, if you want to be completely honest and just raw about it. Yep. You're right. What is a whore? Anybody you want it to be. Yeah. Because we call and them you that. pay them, and they give you the message and tell right. you what you want to hear. Right. Which is what? A lot of church organizations, whether they yep. mean well or not. That's right. They curate the message for the audience instead of using the audience to curate a message to the world. Oh, man, that's powerful. And that's powerful. That's what I see. And I'm, must, I'm, an, I'm a... I'm a non-religious person <laughs> myself. Yep. Yeah. So I'm seeing it from so the outside. Curate, but... You curate the message for the congregation. Instead of curating the congregation's message for the world. Wow. That's wow. what I see. I think you've hit it and said it as succinctly as I've heard it said. That's powerful. I, Man, man, because that's what happens. Because um, people want to be part of something that's doing good. Yep. Just naturally. Yep. And then if they go to a church... Uh, and you see them churches that are doing good and are pumped up for the community and are actively involved and are doing everything they possibly can. Yep. They're exciting. You want to be a part of that. That's you right. see the, the church full on Sunday when you drive by. Their work is relevant. You know, I'm out to the riding community. my motorcycle. Yeah. I can tell which churches are pumped up and which ones aren't. Yep. The ones, and I know this is not a true metric, but the ones that have graveyards bigger than their auditoriums, it concerns me. That's right. If I was someone looking for a church, that's I wouldn't right. go to that church. That's right. Now that's maybe stupid but the idea is there i think you're on to something and the, the churches that are relevant to life mm-hmm. and I, t- I told the thank you i told the congregation i'm serving right now as an interim i said i can love any neighbor of mine anybody without sacrificing anything i believe if i disagree with their whatever their mm-hmm. their music or their their sexual partner or their living arrangement that's none of my business it isn't it's not but i remember i remember being in a in a university that calls itself the world's most unusual university at bob jones Mm -hmm. when i was training and i remember we were studying the book of romans with dr richard hand 
this is the greatest book of theology ever written, is that small book of Romans in the Newer Testament of the Bible. We spent days, days, as a class debating this question. We live in an apartment complex. My next-door neighbor comes over and wants to borrow glasses, like you drink from, not eyeglasses, mm -hmm. wants to borrow glasses because they're having a party and they're serving alcohol. Should we or should we not lend them the glasses? We spent days debating that. Hmm. Now, you've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Hmm. Give them the glasses. It, 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 give them the glasses. But it, it, it was nuts. But now, 40 years on, I see churches do the same thing. Should we bring people into our congregation who don't look like us? Well, yeah, we should, but we sure don't want them to mess up the pews. Mm -hmm. Or, well, well, we brought this group in and we let them use our building and they had a nice family reunion and they, they were not. But I came by the church and they were all outside smoking. Okay. At least they didn't light up in the building. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah. It, it just, we've gotten it just wrong. The, the small insignificant stuff has separated yep. us in a lot of situations, even between religions. Because, you know, a Methodist yep. church may not have a Catholic, right? you know, someone of the Catholic faith come in and do a sermon. Right. Or uh, some sort of, you know, class because of their differences in religion. We both yep. worship the same God, right? Well, We're both in those churches. <laughs> like, and it's just and like, that's been one of the... Or even have like a Muslim guy come in and give a, a, a cultural and religious, uh, you know, yeah. familiarization to a Baptist, a Southern Baptist crowd. You're not going to see that. Well, oh, yeah. not often anyway. <laughs> years ago, it's yeah. been about 12 years ago now, when I was working at the school where Landon attended, I invited the overwhelmingly Christian student body to invite their youth ministers to church to school for a breakfast and and a, and a discussion around how could we partner how could mm -hmm. their churches their houses of worship how could they serve the school how could the school serve them what can we do the student body so come bring your youth minister sit with that person let's talk we had about 30 40 people show up a couple of guys, and I just saw one of them at an event a few weeks ago. I was so proud of him. He was walking around with a scotch and water. I thought maybe he's loosened up a little, but he was an adult now, <laughs> and he was he 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 came to me just bent out of the frame. He was in the eighth grade. He'd called his dad. His dad was a minister. He said there are Mormons here, youth pastors. I said, yeah, that's where Stephanie goes to church. Yeah. Why are they here? Why are they not? He could not get it. Hmm. Could not get it. Um, I was kind of glad that he had forgotten it when I bumped into him because yeah. he didn't remember it. I'm like, good, good. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, we we get so hung up. Mm -hmm. And for me, we've talked more about religion than we have depression. But I'll say this. <laughs> Is that telling? Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, religion it's... drove me into depression, among other yeah, things. It can. It's a There's a physical component. There, there are environmental things with mm -hmm. family and all that. Our family and Dean and I are related. So, you know, our family has some deep mental health history. 
Yes. Um, our grandmother, your great grandmother, mm -hmm. spent years institutionalized. Yep. Um, my mother, who's still living, obviously is deep in an occult. Um, and if you've seen shiny, happy people, deeply into that, lived yes. in Bill Gothard's home when he was traveling before yeah. his mother died. Um, our uncle traveled the country. Do you know about him? Oh, yes. Yeah. Hitchhiking. Yep. Deep, he ended up getting, a, losing his leg at yeah, the end. In and out of, of mental alcoholism. health. Alcoholism. Yeah. In and out of Broughton. His brother was killed in his 40s by his wife for domestic violence. Mm -hmm. She filled him full of lead. His son, the, the one who was killed, this is unbelievable. And you can call it addiction, but this got to be a mental health component. Mm -hmm. I, I asked about him at a funeral for our grandmother. I said, where is him? And I called the guy by name because we're just a few years apart in age. Yeah. And he had, he had grown up and become a heavy, heavy, heavy drinker. Yeah. We found out that his former father-in-law, who was a pretty well-known businessman up in the, the Alexander County area, and, of course, our cousin was divorced from his daughter now, but he continued to create problems for the family's image. Yeah. His his fa ex father in law built had him build a, a fence around his house where our cousin lived. It was a mobile home out in you've been to it probably yeah. out in the country and um, little single wide, and he would keep him in beer and food as long as he stayed in there. Was he got a DWI on a horse one time? So you know, or a lawnmower. I'm sorry, on a lawnmower. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> there's all of that mental health challenge in our family. So I'm not just saying religion. Yeah. But we went in deep. Super. Super deep. And what changed for me was moving from a religion-based life to a relational life yeah. with God. But the only way I know how to describe it is to go back to that story in Scripture of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. When Adam and Eve ate... They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. Because if you ate from that, you could determine what was right and wrong and all yeah. that. Make well, your own rules. Make your own rules. And and that's what we want. We don't want to run the universe, but we want to rule our own world. You yeah. know? Autonomy. That's right. So whether that story is true or allegorical, it's still it's the message is the same. Yeah. But they they left the garden. And God puts this flaming angel and won't let them back in. And I thought that was part of their punishment. Well, a friend of mine, I asked, I said, I don't understand this. God's supposed to be a God of grace. He said, that's the God of grace at work. I said, what do you mean? He said, if they'd gone back into that garden, they'd already violated the one tree. Well, mm -hmm. there was another one, the tree of life. Mm -hmm. If they had eaten from that tree, they would have been stuck forever surviving on right versus wrong, good and evil. Everything would come down to a some zero question. But Christ, who's Messiah, as I understand scripture and believe and have staked my life on, was coming to be Messiah. Yeah. And to become my life and your life and not willing it that any should perish, the Bible said. So when I stopped focusing on what was right and wrong, and started focusing on knowing God, it made a difference. And the the big difference I see is, okay, let's say that Johnny goes out and just ties it on every weekend. 
he smokes, he drinks, he takes drugs, he's immoral, all that stuff. Well, that's what we call Saturday sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's sin. There's country songs written about it. Yes, yeah, it's a country song. But yeah. what about the guy who's teaching Sunday school, going to church, but goes home and beats crap out of his wife and kids, or cusses out the, the server at lunch? The only difference is it's Sunday sin, mm-hmm. and it's self-righteousness. Because if mm-hmm. you, I'm meeting the rules, you're self, it's wrong. Yeah. Throw all that out, and the Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, let's love God more. Yeah. Love God more, be loved by God more than we can grasp, and that'll flow over into others. And that's what made the difference for me looking down the barrel of a gun. And that's an oversimplification, but that's what did it. Let me ask you, just out of curiosity, but that, that statement you made just now, it said, uh, if you love me, and God says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you think it's just a perspective on how we look at that phrasing, where God says, if you love me first, obeying my commandments is a result of loving me versus the way I was brought up to think if you actually love God, you would keep his commandments. Did you get taught about that, that you had to commit to love God and you had to commit to follow the commandments? Well, it was basically uh, your works are an indication of what's in your heart. Yeah. And if your outward um, actions... Yep. And your words don't match up with what your religious leadership says that it should be in order to be in compliance with right. our set of rules. That's right. Then you're not actually a real deal. You're an imposter. And every little church has got its own set yeah. of written and unwritten rules. So if you have one thing that you may do or that you struggle with, you know, like. That's right. Then. They're. There are two things that I think illustrate the way I've come to interpret that verse. One is marriage, and one is lasagna. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're married. I love one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm married. I've been married 39 years in June. You got got the best, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. I went way over my head. Um, I don't remain faithful to my marriage vows because they're vows. Yes. I don't come home at night. And be with my wife because I promised to. I do it because I love her. Exactly. It's not a hard thing it's, to do. It it is it is my nature now. Mm-hmm. And Scripture teaches the way I understand it that we're given a new nature when we come into Christ. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing I was just having this discussion this week online, and now I'm going to have coffee with a local pastor. He wants to. He he's, We were talking online. He said. We got to have coffee, and I'm excited because I don't know yeah. what his perspectives are. I don't think he's on the same page I am, but that's okay. Perfectly. Um, but we're we're meeting Wednesday. But I was talking in, in the back and forth about how we focus so much on trying to scare what I call scaring the hell out of people to get them to get saved. Scared straight mentality. Yeah, that's not the model God used. Christ dealt with the down and out. He dealt with the woman at the well that was basically shadow property in her day. And he loved her. And Paul wrote in Romans, it's God's kindness that Mm -hmm. brings me to repentance. So I compare it to lasagna. I don't eat lasagna because I have to eat to stay alive. Yeah. I don't eat it because if I don't eat something, I will die. I eat it because it's freaking good. Yeah. 
<laughs> and scripture says, taste and see that God is good. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be part of something that's good and good for me yeah. and good for others. So many Christians narrow it down, and I'm sorry. We narrow it down to, I'm not going to hell. It's good for me. But it's not good for others because yeah. you treat them like they're infected with something. Yes. And if you don't get them saved, you can't have anything to do with them. They don't have the vaccine, and they're going to... That's yeah. right. You, yeah. It's back to the <laughs> yeah. vaccine. Yeah, that's a good way of putting yeah. it right there. And I, I met a new a new person last night. I, I took the dog out. person gets out of the car next to me and speaks, and I speak, and I go, hey, are you my new neighbor? Because the house has been for sale. And the young person was like, yeah, I am. I came over, shook her hand, and I said, this is my dog, Ivy. I'm Dwayne. My wife, Charlotte's inside. And um, man, good to have you in the neighborhood. I said, is it just you? Do you have family? She said to me, I'm, and she named herself, and my partner, and she named her. And I watched her eyes. She was waiting because she was expecting and anticipating this is either going to go well or the guy's going to get cold. He's going to reject me. Imagine living with that kind of pressure, not just on your sexuality, but on everything in your life and your thought life Mm -hmm. because God sees your thoughts. Oh, yeah. You dirty little 13-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. That's what I was living under. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to not treat every person I meet with dignity. Yes. I don't care if we sit down here today and the guy next to me worships Satan and the other one worships that hat over there. I'm still going to treat them with dignity. They're still people. They're still people. So with the same emotions and same feelings that you have. But I couldn't get to there yeah. until I got out of a religion mindset and moved to a relational mindset. I, I, I couldn't escape that. I remember when I was in corporate, I would go to the headquarters and people would see me in the mm-hmm. elevator and they go, what are you doing at headquarters, Mr. Burks? And I went, well, I work for the company. What's your problem? I didn't say that. Yeah. But my face said it. Yeah. You know, my face said it. And because um, I was driven, I, mm-hmm. I was thinking, why, why are you bothering with that kind of question? You got work to do. You know, well, now... I don't feel that way. I, you know, the biggest problem I have now is turning my brain off. Yeah. Because I'm excited. Well, let me ask you this. But on the mental health front, and this does have a lot to do with that, or it's starting to look like it might. Right. We've always had, uh, in the modern pharmaceutical era, answers from, from one decade and you know to the next on what can fix depression and mental health issues yep. or, or can assist in the healing process. Everything yep. from psychology, you know, uh, narcotics and SSRIs acupuncture, and acupuncture yoga, yeah. everything. One of the things that's really interesting me lately is the work that an organization called MAPS is doing with the federal government and they're getting research done on psychedelic treatments for drug and alcohol and mental health issues yep what uh what if any um are your opinions on how that may play into mental health in the future and you know helping people with addictions and depression what are your thoughts on that that approach i don't know much about it interestingly i read an article i think in the new york times last sunday about a mushroom mm-hmm. that is being 
studied and tested to help with mental health. My perspective on it, I'm not a mental health clinician. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not an expert in that. Oh yeah. But my story is this when i was at the height of my depression i i was my wife was afraid to leave me at home alone that that's few days especially then i had tried and tried and tried to break through i tried everything mm-hmm. and charlotte convinced me to let her call a friend of mine who runs a counseling center and see if he would talk to me because we were friends. He had never been my counselor and colleagues. Yeah. Well, he, he agreed, let's have lunch. So I drove to Charlotte, had lunch with him, and he said, Dwayne, I know your story. He said, you've tried the physical things. You've exercised. You've tried the spiritual things. You've done it. You've tried the emotional things. You've had counseling. He said, what is the physical piece about this that you don't know? Well, I'd been taught that every problem was a spiritual problem. Mm -hmm. So if I got my spiritual life right, my mental health would fall into place. Yeah. And he said, Dwayne, I'm begging you. He said, tell me you'll go see your doctor today. So I did. Dr. Aiken just retired a couple years ago. I wrote him a letter and thanked him for this, actually, when he retired. And Dr. Aiken said, Dwayne, with what you're telling me, I should involuntarily commit you. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, if you'll take this Effexor, if you'll take it and give me your word, because I know you'll honor your word. He said, I, I want you to go home, but I want you to call me tomorrow and the next day and let me know what's going on. I took it home. It was like swallowing a Volkswagen the first mm-hmm. time I took it. But what happened was within a few days, it began to work, week or so, maybe five days. And I looked around, I thought, so this is what normal feels like. Mm-hmm. Huh. Then I could feel some of the things that I had been masking by stuffing them down. And then the process of unloading that started. I know there is a role for pharmaceuticals in mental health. What I don't know is how deep it is because it depends on each person's situation. Um, I, to this day, take effects or Yeah. And my wife can tell if I miss it, she mm-hmm. can tell. She said, you take your medicine. And some yep. people, you know, would say, well, I, 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 well, okay. I, I, you know, <laughs> that's just, it's, it's my situation. Mm-hmm. But um, it has gotten easier to live through the problems that life throws at us with a better spiritual, emotional, physical, and mindset yeah. with medicine. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of brands of Christianity that are out there. Jesus, just take care of everything. You won't have any problems. Look, you will have problems. What's that old song from back in the day? One of the very first Christian rock songs. It says, uh, something about smoking cigarettes and yellow fingers. And it says, yeah. why don't you yeah. try Jesus? He's got the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it's a that's catchy what, song too. <laughs> that's what bugs me about those signs. Jesus is the answer. Yeah. Well, whose version of Jesus? Yeah. Who's? Your version or... That in itself version. will give you anxiety. That's right. Imagine you standing there on the corner and there's 12 churches in front of you. Which one do I go which to Which one for do help? I go to? That's right. Yeah, and each one's a different denomination. Yeah. And even within the denomination, you got you know various versions of that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm often 
intimidated a little bit to tell people that my credentials are Baptist because we have such a bad reputation. And I was going to change and change to American Baptist, which is much smaller group, much more progressive in its way of thinking and conducting itself. But this was about eight years ago. And my friend, who's a Catholic, um, man, he loves Jesus. I love the guy. He's 90 years old now. He had been on a trip somewhere, and he brought me home this little plastic icon of a cross. And I said, why do you have that? Why would you bring it to me? He said, I don't know. God told me to get it for you. Mm-hmm. He said, here's the story on it. He said, this is an icon representing the, thing, the cross before which St. Francis prayed when he felt God said to him, fix my church. Yeah. Francis gets up and begins to do hammer and nails types things. He's back praying the next time, and the Holy Spirit seemed to say to him, no, I mean, fix my church. Love it. Help it heal. Help it heal others. It's gotten regimented. So Francis never, he, he, it's what he went back and did. Yeah. And, and became canonized for that. Um, for me, that settled it. God didn't want me, I believe, to just pull out, but to... to to fix, for lack of a better word, yeah. by leading in different directions. And I i didn't know what that meant. I was in this small church doing bivocational work, working in the community. I didn't know what it meant. And now God has put me, I believe, positioned me in a church that has the potential to, to lead again. It's what's called a big steeple church. There are little steeple churches like you see in the country Mm -hmm. and on the edge of town. Then there are the big steeples, the First Methodist, the First Baptist. Well, I'm at a First Baptist church that's the biggest steeple in Gaston County. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful building, too. But they're, they're out of people. So our plan, our desire is to lead in a role that doesn't devalue what we believe about Scripture. Yeah. But that values people the way God values people. Will it happen quickly? Not short of a miracle. But if it happens slowly, as long as it happens, I'm happy. Yeah. You know. So I, I think that might be might have been where God was leading me and I didn't know it. Um but there were days that I never imagined I would get to sixty years old. Yeah. The other thing that happened that, that I don't know if this would have affected you as a grandson the way it did your your mom and me, but I know it affected us. Our dad died from the same disease we have, type mm-hmm. 1 childhood diabetes, real diabetes is what I call it, not mm-hmm. Wilfred Brimley diabetes, the not, real deal. Not elective. Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm joking, <laughs> but at the same time, it's a... It, I get it. Somebody asked me the other day, you still got that diabetes? David got over his. Well, yeah, the guy did because he had type 2. Yeah. Mine, there's no getting over it. That being said, dad died at 36 years old. I was 17. Your mom was 10 or 11. She was 11. I believed with all my being that I would die before I reached 37. Yeah. So you take all that religious pressure I had, my, the fact that I'm a type A person anyway, mm-hmm. and then you try to stuff in a 75, 80 year life into 35 years, it's, it about killed me. Yeah. It about killed me. It yeah. overloads your brain. Yeah. And it, your mind and your it, heart. It overloaded everything. And yeah. I, I, 
I didn't, thankfully I never struggled with substance use challenges, probably because I was diabetic. I was afraid if I got drunk or if I used drugs, I wouldn't know if my blood sugar dropped yeah. and I would die. So that protected me from it. Yeah. Even when my religion lessened on me and I wasn't so afraid of going to hell for it. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that's, that's been a good thing because I am, I, I'm not compulsive, but, but when I get my teeth in something, I want to see it through. Yeah. You know, um, so that, that's kind of my story. Man, it's so much broader. I've written a book about it. It's really a booklet. And it's written from my faith perspective, of course. Yeah. But it's available if anybody wants it. it yeah. uh, I think it's on Amazon. And I would say this about our, our gateway. I mentioned it in the other podcast. I operate and founded the Gateway Gaston. It's gatewaygaston.org. If someone comes to that site and needs connection to a human service agency of any kind, mm-hmm. we help them connect. We have instructed our our people who who staff that, volunteers and professional, that if a veteran or a law enforcement especially hits that desiring mental health support to elevate that to as fast as we can get to it. Uh, we, we really feel that way about any mental health support, but especially those two entities. Yeah. I, at breakfast this morning, Landon and I were talking to a Marine who's now out of the Marines, I don't know why he chose to tell us this, but he watched one of his colleagues while they were in basic take an M- M16, M16 to himself. Another guy mm. hung himself and he found the body. And he said that at one point until his sister came and got him from where he was living in another state and brought him back here to North Carolina, he was ready to do the same. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So our veterans and then our law enforcement and our community we had a situation this past week where 11-year-old twins and their father were burned in a fire set by the abusive father. The one twin died, the 11 years old, the boy. The man died. The little girl's in um, the burn center. We have law enforcement officers who go out and walk up on that and have to deal with it, have to photograph it. I don't know what kind of mental health supports they're getting. So we want to be there for those two groups, especially. I want to say from someone in that veteran community, I appreciate what you're doing and that you're making that uh, a part of your program. And we don't care if they're in Gaston County or not for that. We're going to, we're going to get phone call stuff. Yeah. You can definitely talk somebody down. I've been in the exact same situation. I was at work one day and I had a buddy that had deployed with me and um, he called me or had texted me something strange and I called him immediately. And I ended up pulling over just when I drove truck yep. and just stayed on the phone with him until the mental health professionals got there to his door. Wow. It was wow. about three and a half hours. So did and you have, were you was, in your home rough. community when that happened? He was actually in the central North Carolina area. So how did you know who to call was, to get a team out there? I called the local police department yep. and I said, I have a veteran that's going through a mental health crisis. He's... Uh, on the verge of committing self-harm or suicide. Yep. I said, and I want to let you know that if you go out there and you use any aggression, it could end his life. Right. So do not come out there with police right. SWAT and guns. Now, I don't know if they actually came out with that, but the guy yep. that was on the phone with me sounded like a reasonable dude. Right. 
Well, it's one of those things where it is one phone call. One call. If they make that decision, that may be all you got. That's so, right. And if they reach out, they're at least thinking about not doing it. Yes. You know, it's the ones you don't hear from that scare me to death. Mm-hmm. That, you know, um, how many car accidents are just cloaked suicides? How many overdoses are intentional but look accidental? Uh, yeah, you just don't know. Yeah, you don't know. So, I've had I've had friends that were. I mean, it's it touches everybody. Yep, it does. So everybody, I commend your work on all these fronts. Thank you, man. And uh, just from me to you, I always will have said, and I will continue to say, I appreciate the way you have consistently, which is hard to do, shown love and acceptance to not just your own family, but the people around you, your extended family, and that's something that. Um, is rare. Yeah. And I know that at any time I've always been able to call you or, you know, Aunt Charlotte and you pick up the phone and you won't judge me. Right. So that in itself does more than you will ever understand for not just me, but I'm sure for other people too. So yeah. the work you're doing is, is a just a extension of that. Yeah, it's why it doesn't feel like work, I guess. And I want to say that same feeling I have and appreciation I have, I know is what other people are feeling. Yep. So keep it up. Well, this, I'll close (laughs) with this story. Take care of yourself. It's so cool. This week, we got a hit for a lady out of county, double amputee, homeless. Mm -hmm. She was out of county. We didn't have any resources for her, we didn't know. But she came to me through one of our people that we've contracted to do some work with us at one time. And I, I knew the situation had been vetted as much as it needed to be. Yeah. Um, and I told him, I said, here's what we might be able to do. Will it work? And the, the caseworker that was helping her worked on it, emailed me back. She said, yeah, we can, we can make that work. I said, all right, we'll get 150 bucks. I didn't know how we were going to get it or where we were going to get it. That was 8 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. 9.30, I think it was, I get a message from a lady who says, you helped us, me, several years ago. She was working in an adult establishment. She's tried to get out. She she can't make enough money. She's mm-hmm. still working in that world. God bless her. Mm-hmm. But she, she's got a family. She's got a husband that she, you can tell she loves him. He loves her. They love their kids. But she said, you guys helped me. I want to give back. What can I do? I sent her the link, 200 bucks. Nice. Within two hours of not knowing where we were going to get it. That is what keeps you going and thinking this is making a difference. Um, so, you said, a, and just make sure yeah. I get this correct, you said a, a person that was in sex work donated? Yeah, they worked in a club. Yeah. As, oh, okay. As an entertainer. Okay, an inter- adult entertainer. Yeah, adult okay. entertainer. Okay, that's and, still uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and tried to leave. Yeah. But yeah. you... But I mean that, that even those people yeah. that the church may not think about as helping yeah. can I, help and are willing and are a resource I tell, regardless of their profession. <laughs> I say it often. I look yeah. I long for the day that people come into church and don't know they're not supposed to light up. Yeah. That's when you know you're really being the church. But we got a long way to go in religion to do that. But that's my goal. Well, so, you're also working on that front, so yep. congratulations on you, all ma'am. the success that you've had. Trying to be consistent, trying to be able to support yep. things that I know are true and not, not stick my nose in where I don't know. Yeah. But um, 
I'm getting older, so I've I've seen some things. So, oh man, thank you, man. No, thank you, and I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck, and thank you, young man, for uh, coming up today and contributing as well. Thank you, sir. All right.